the look that uh, she just gave me here a second ago. Um, she's giving me right now. So trying to do a podcast while you're having like an audience person or your my wife is over here watching it. This is a little awkward. <laughs> it's perfect. It's perfect. I just asked. You've been traveling a lot, so what does your wife do when you're on the road? But that's all right. That's yeah, good she to did. Talk a, to you. So last, yeah, good to talk to you too. It's good to see. You. I don't have the. We don't have the fancy music intro music this week. Uh, but I think we can still, uh, still and, and apologize to the people last week that we didn't have one out, but, uh, I was traveling, things were crazy. It was at Nape. And so there's a lot going on. Yeah. We actually so, had a COVID uh, scare through our family. We're, we're five negative people after, uh, being exposed for several hours to my father-in-law and mother-in-law at their nursing home. So luckily they're, they're on the mend and very mild symptoms after being positive, but the vaccine worked for us. Um, you know, birthday celebrations, singing and hugs and all of that. And, you know, my kids and I and everybody are, are negative. So that was it. That was it. But I, um, I don't have, didn't mean to get into COVID. Uh, so early we'll get to no, talk about Afghanistan in a little bit. So we'll just, yeah, keep, we talk it about comes it. up a lot. It but, does come up a lot. We, you know, we, uh, had the podcast with Chuck last week and we started talking about it at the beginning and then we had to kind of stop ourselves. Like, this is just, you talk, we talk about too much. It's, one of these things. I mean, it's obviously it's topical, and I'm glad that you guys are uh, negative on your uh, on your test. That's good. That's good to know. And it's good to know that uh, the vaccine worked for you and your in laws as well. But back to the beginning of the conversation, we, uh, you know, we're here at or we were here last week at Nate, and my wife stayed home with the kids because she's a saint. Uh, she's looking at me now here, and uh, and but uh, this week she she tagged along. We're at Bit Block Boom down in Dallas, and uh, she's got some good friends down here. And so she's going to, she's going to hang out. I'm going to do the, the conference with that. I've actually today have been uh, having some meetings, a lot of oil and gas people involved uh, with the Bitcoin stuff. So I don't want to turn this whole podcast into a Bitcoin podcast. It feels like it's may turn into that uh, at some point. <laughs> it seems like it's getting to that point, but so don't want to yep. focus on that for too long, but, uh, but I am down here. And before we launch into the couple topics that we have, why don't you hit on the markets real quick? No, uh, I mean, we're into it. Definitely, you know, S&P above 500, you know, energy stocks, you know, doing actually up 9, 10% and, you know, oils back up close to 70 on TI above 70 for Brent, but really it's natural gas that's in this huge rally. And we'll talk yeah. about that if you don't mind in a little bit, but 13% in the last week, um, copper's wow, up 4%, yeah. Bitcoin's essentially flat, but, you know, natural gas and propane has been one of the things we've been, you know, riding, you know, really for, for about five months now. And the thing that we keep telling people is, you know, if we look at the gas companies that are public, so the majority of the producers, they're roughly for the rest of the year, about 81% hedged at 270. And then mm. if we look at next year, they're around 60% hedged at 260, ex-Cabot plus Simrex. And you know, we did just actually upgrade them, you know, a couple of weeks ago. But here's a fun fact that I, I just pulled and I was pulling while, while we were talking about this. Uh, so Let's that's where I looked over. But. So the hedge losses for our companies are about a billion and a half dollars mark to market Ooh. in 2022. Their drilling capital that we estimate is 4.4 billion. And so think about that just from an order of magnitude, a third more capital could have been spent if, or cash flow could have not been spent and returned to shareholders. Um, so I'm not trying to bash hedging, but it just puts that capital governor on what companies get from an uplift on cash margins for the pure gas companies. And, you know, that's that other than a mild winter right now, we actually are pretty darn positive on 2022 natural gas and propane. 
um, you know, it, it feels like it's just going to keep working. And, and again, oil at 70 and gas above four bucks, like we don't need a whole lot more for, for this group to throw off a lot of free cash. And, you know, I think that it's going to be interesting to watch going into the, the fall investor season around, you know, Barclays conference comes up, you know, as you see, you know, the Apaches and the Oventives follow in the path of all the other you know, larger yeah. companies that define the return of cash. Like, can these smaller and mid-cap companies actually attract generalist investors the same way Pioneer and Conoco and, you know, even a, a Devon is starting to? So it's going to be interesting. I, I, I think that, you know, we've got capital discipline. We've got hedges that kind of force a little bit of capital discipline. And we got commodities that are helping on the gas and the... Uh, and the NGL side, so you know, we'll just uh, let it ride uh, into the uh, into the winter. It seems like it's it seems like the momentum is positive. I mean, people ask me all the time. It's the most common question that I get is around gas prices and what I what I think my thoughts are, and I just deflect so much when I get those questions because I just I try to at least because I don't know. But man, I we've talked about it a number of times on the podcast, mm-hmm. and it just seems like I just keep going back to feeling that. A lot of positive momentum. I mean, uh, well, it's LNG global. Markets. I think the, yeah, that's a, yeah, exactly. That's it's global. I think that's the thing that, um, that as you think about what I think about 20, 20 to 25% of US gas goes to Europe uh, via LNG today. And, you know, kind of thinking through that long dated market, like it's a, it is still a transition fuel. I do think that it, you know, that market over the long run, U.S. LNG might have to find someplace other than Europe to go in the 10-year to 20-year view, but right now, right. like it's a, it's a bridge, and I think it, it's something that that demand's going to stay there. So I feel feel all right for for at least the next 18 months. I'm I'm pretty positive yeah. on them. So that, I'm too. Uh, you hit, it feels good to have it be a. What's that? No, no, you're just saying it feels good to have a little bit of like something. You know, we can talk positively about things like there's so much yeah. negativism and like all that. Like, honestly, like, let's just let's just let things roll a little bit in the right direction and stay a little optimistic. Um, Absolutely. And, and Absolutely. I've been a big, we'll I've, been a, I've been a big outspoken. Uh, I've said a lot of stuff about how I hope that the energy transition incorporates a lot of natural gas. I think it's teeing up for that. I mean, I think that like mm-hmm. at the end of the day, we're decommissioning baseload. You see what's happening right now in California. There's an announcement that they're. Uh, allowing some new gas plants to come online. You, you got to have, you're going to decommission pa- uh, nuclear. Well, then you're going to add mm-hmm. carbon. I mean, th- that's the reality. Decomm- taking off nuclear plants, you're adding carbon to the mix. So what carbon is that going to be? Uh, natural gas is a logical choice. We're not going to turn on coal plants. And so this is, uh, it's really, it's good. It's bullish. And then if you think about this global market thing that you talked about, I mean, that just feels so good because at the beginning of my career, it wasn't at all. It was a very uh, U.S. market, and we were just kind of landlocked. And it was like a dream that one day we could have all this LNG capacity. And, you know, because the lead times are just so long on the LNG stuff that it just yeah. – and, and maybe it was early in my career, but it seemed like it just took forever. It was just, you kept talking about it for half a decade. And then now we're kind of in this reality where now we're connected to these global markets, and, um, and it's a good news story. And people keep tr- – I keep trying to come up with bearish – I've had people uh, been very bullish on natural gas and I've been there and I've just gotten beat up so many times. Like I've told you in the past that I, it's like made me more reserved on getting bullish, but there's been really bullish people in my ear saying, you know, all these things. And I'm just wanting to agree with them. And I think that they're running out of excuses why I shouldn't be bullish. Now, 
and then you start thinking about the U.S. becoming a leader in carbon capture and you know chemical plants with you know future gas and NGL demand and you know there's just like this this cycle of greening up or blueing up and greening up you know the colors of if you if you use something out of the ground but put the carbon back in it's blue and if you use renewable right. natural gas then you're effectively a green um, outcome but I think that we've got like this this opportunity on the geoengineering side to just really change the profile of what petroleum engineers and geologists did and you know we start cycling through both oil gas and and then carbon capture and you know we've got a real opportunity and that's kind of one of the things I was curious I know you spent time at NAEP I spent a little at OTC um you know what what did you have any takeaways from from NAEP um or any thoughts yeah, well, I talked about it a little bit on the last episode that it would mm -hmm. check Yates and just said that it felt like it was a little dead, didn't feel like we were quite back yet. Some of that's the COVID stuff, uh, obviously. The other part is just the uh, general flight of capital and all the, the way the industry is right now. And I'd probably more COVID, I would say, than the flight of capital. I think that there was pent-up demand, similar to how there's pent-up mm -hmm. demand for a lot of things right now. It's like the people that you talked to, it was like they were happy to be there, but the companies were very cautious. Uh, you know, there's this fear of, I don't know if it's cancel culture or what it is, but no one wants to be a part of something that could be associated with the headline for COVID, right? So it's like, if you're, you know, a company and you have a big booth and you're doing a big event and then there's some COVID headline or something that came out, or maybe it's the liability. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, maybe it's just the <laughs> social consciousness of not wanting to put your people there, but whatever it is, people weren't, weren't there. Uh, there weren't, there weren't booths. Uh, it just wasn't the attendance was a third maybe uh, of what yeah. it usually is. And so it felt very much like a deflated uh, nape this year. So, so I've always thought and you know, a little at OTC was definitely an energy transition angle for all the service companies and you know, the Ocker carbon solution type people. And you know, there's there's definitely a, a whole lot of carbon that's going to come, you know, with uh, and commentary in the next month that, that we'll be paying a lot of attention to. But you know, NAEP, whenever I first got into the business, was all about exploration. And like, it was about swapping projects right. and prospects. And, and then it really became about land swapping and, you know, trying to find, you know, opportunities for the new shale play. And, and it was a deal conference of like, things really were happening. You had the double, double decker Chesapeake uh, booth in the middle. And, and the reality is, is now the industry is neither. Like it's, it's not an exploration industry and it's not a, a land swapping industry. It's kind of burned the candle at both ends. As I've, as I've said it, like, we're not, we're not getting better necessarily on, you know, new plays from a, from a leasing and land standpoint, we're getting marginally better on wells. But when was the last time you heard about an exploration prospect at Nate? I mean, 15 years ago, like, I mean, honestly, probably 2000 before the financial crisis of 08 for sure. So it's, Maybe maybe leasing and land prospects, but not like a one drill yeah. hit something in South Louisiana. And that's where the stuff's gonna go. Like we we talked to Talos, like Talos, there's a Texas land sale. You got them moving forward with the first sets of class six permits that take six years for carbon capture, but like finding the best spot to to put carbon into the ground. I mean, there's some cool stuff that's going to happen. And I'll, my prediction is, NAEP, in a few years, we'll hear more about carbon sinks and, and deals around how you get those leases together. Um, and, and that's kind of the next wave uh, of where things go. So, 
I'm excited. I can see that. I can see that for sure. I think that there's also, uh, you know, one of my things at NAPE is that I really enjoy going around to the more obscure booths that, uh, sorry, we just, uh, <laughs> our house thing, the people just came to the room and watched them to leave. Uh, but, uh, you know, I just, I like going to the more obscure booths to try to see those guys that are still pitching prospects. I just, I grew up, my dad was a mm-hmm. geologist and, uh, and he was an independent, independent geologist there for uh, a number of years. And, I grew up in Tulsa and he always was, you know, they looked at prospects and I just kind of maps, you know, we had a drafting table mm-hmm. at our house with maps and uh, just, just like, I think that stuff oh. is cool. And so like, I always kind of make it a point to go around in Nape and to look at those. Uh, anyways, go ahead. Sorry. Just look at those, like in, those interesting booths that are prospect booths. Uh, even there weren't that many, but I, I enjoy that stuff. I, um, I'll tell you one more thing on the, on the shale side. Most of our companies have somewhere around you know, 10 to 15 years of, of inventory where they can sustain themselves. That's kind of how they talk about it. And so you know, 10 years from now, we're in 2031. And so then you're, you're effectively left with zero to five years. And you know, that that's actually going to require people to develop those skills again of evaluating, you know, how do you take risk on something that is more conventional? And, and candidly, I think the conventional side is where... Um, is going to be where the skills need to redevelop. And, you know, for, for not trying to say we have a generational gap here, but I started off in the Gulf of Mexico and you know, we didn't know what we were going to do in the back half of the year. And you kind of started into the middle of the shale and revolution, but there just aren't you know, guys like your dad have aged out of the industry that understood how to put things together and take risk. Right. And as you get even more disciplined on capital right. and cash flow returns, I actually think that that discourages risk taking, and uh, it's that vision question for the oil and gas space is what we seek and try to find every day. But you know, the, the lack of real exploratory skills—that's uh, that's the stuff that's going to end up being something that has some value beyond just the cookie cuttering of of the. You know, drilling 100,000 wells is a whole lot of work, and I'm not trying to belittle the improvements of the shale and shale gas and shale oil business. That is not at all what I'm saying. I'm just saying that the skills don't exist as much anymore. And uh, I think that you know, loss of skill, you, know, you always want to be you know, in that mode of going from zero to one on inflection points of where you make a lot of money. And like right now, the place of zero to one is figuring out geoengineering and and how you take risk and how you assess risk and that's uh there's only a couple of companies that i think even even have the potential to do it yeah for sure hey can uh just real quick can you hear me all right you're cutting out a yeah little totally bit. I, no, I can you totally hear you fine or... no uh, i don't know if it's on my end okay, or good good you, you kind of pause for a second i just want to uh either yeah, way we're good know. I think we're so good. what else are you thinking about? Um, so you're well, moving on to the next. So the, that's uh, I, I think like we. Go ahead. No, no, you're you you got it. I think well, I think there's a delay between the two of us right now, so we're kind of uh, I think there's some signal issues, but we'll keep going. I think the next thing, obviously, is topical this week. Nat, nat gas is ripping. We hit on that, and then uh, Afghanistan right now. I mean, there's a lot to be said. It is a, uh, I think, just a bad situation. I don't know that there's anybody that would say that anything other than that. It's one of those situations where I hope that we don't see any more loss of life uh, on the U.S. side, certainly. I mean, it's been, this week's been a lot of tough news uh, about Marines that have been 
uh, injured or killed. And it's one of those deals where, you know, they're, it's just one of these times where we're on the world stage and uh, all kind of eyes are on us. And so uh, this has been a building up to this point over a lot of years. It's hard to point blame at any one person, but, but we're here now and it's happening uh, this week. And so uh, it's certainly been on my mind. And I think it's something that yeah. we owe it to at least talk about a little bit. Uh, I, I mean, I've paid a, enough attention in geopolitics, particularly in that region. It's not that Afghanistan's a large producing region, but you know, whenever the Islamic State had their caliphate, there was a spur of incremental conversions and, and terrorist attacks. And you know, we're, we're a couple weeks away from a 20-year anniversary of 9-11 that you know, I still remember um, and I think everybody that was alive at that time will always remember. And, you know, the, the thing that I, I think about and feel is, you know, for, for the long dated standpoint, like the U.S. had quite a bit of time to plan the exit. And, you know, it's just a mess. And like it just makes me worry about how the U.S. and our, our allies will, you know, maintain any sort of superpower status for the thing you didn't have time to plan for. And so there will be right. something that comes up in the future that you know, that we didn't get to plan for. And it's it's been odd to me why the U.S. is solely responsible at the end of the day. Like Afghanistan was probably the most supported war in the history of the world. Like the U.N. voted to basically post 9-11, the U.N. voted to give the U.S. authority. NATO all voted to move forward. You know, it's it's a long time ago, but like it was probably you know one of the more supported actions, and there are still um, a lot of NATO troops actually in Afghanistan as well. And you know, the it, it's this odd thing of why why is it our our sole responsibility, other than you know we do take the lead in the world as a, as Americans, and I think that we you know, can shine the light of, uh, of how to do that. But it's unfortunate. I think the numbers are something like 70,000 Afghani fighters, like died trying to stop the Taliban. Like, it's just like, right. we don't, we don't see all the details, but you know, the, the fact that there isn't security and that Americans died and had the worst day in the, in a decade or more of soldiers losing their life is something that just breaks your heart. Like it's a, and I think you're muted right now. Get a call, maybe. Coming in. Give him two seconds here. I need to put, that reminds me I need to go on. Uh, do not disturb. All right, there you are. I can hear you. I think. Oh, he's coming back on. It's always the the problem with doing it on mobile is that you, uh, you get the call and then it drops off. Uh, so I'm going to give Hike a few seconds here before he hops back on. But uh, he's going to the Afghanistan topic, and I think I echo pretty much all of this. Here you go inviting in right now how to stream hey sorry i it I'm wouldn't totally be a podcast if we didn't uh yeah, i'm losing wi-fi sig i'm losing my wi-fi signal in the office for some reason so blame this yeah, one i was on, cutting uh, out earlier a little bit yeah, i don't know what the problem is um it but it's like flickering back and forth maybe i don't think we have any weather here so i'm not sure what's happening it wouldn't be a, it wouldn't um, be a podcast David, if we didn't have technical difficulties, it's every single thing I do has something that goes wrong. It's just kind of par for the course. Yeah, yeah but you were going so, on the Afghanistan stuff, and yeah, keep going. No, no, I mean, I really just, I hope that we can be better at, at executing and planning. And, you know, I, I have my own personal opinions of, I think, the 
everybody hoped and expected they'd be able to change Biden's view at the end of the day and, and not have a pullout. And he's had a he's had a 12 year view of this war and he's been very consistent. And so at the end, I just don't think they I mean, clearly didn't assess all the risks and the and the possibilities. Right. And so, right. you know, if you just worry, you know, I'm not trying to lean one way or another, actually. But the you know, the other global events that can happen you know, you can spur incremental terrorism as you have now, you know, a Taliban controlled Afghanistan, you have, you know, deaths of Americans that'll rally people, unfortunately. And you just wonder how, how our, um, how our allies view us, but more importantly, how do our enemies and there are enemies in the world. And, you know, this, this was not a show of strength and it wasn't a show of excellence and you know, we just have to be better. Yeah, I agree. Now, that's exactly my sentiment is that I'm worried about the perspective of not just the world and the world stage, but just like you said, the enemies and how they view us in this. And it's not a good look. And the situation is very complicated. Uh, I can't sit here and tell you what the, you know, look, this the entire thing is just so complex. But what I can say is that the way that it's kind of unfolded has not been positive. Um, there are some, in my opinion, pretty obvious things we could have done differently around planning making sure we get the people that we needed to get out, out, making sure that the, uh, the weapons and the, and the vehicles didn't fall in their hands. But like, look, I think we wanted to try to set up the Afghan military for success, which is why we have these things here. I'm assuming, I don't know the inner workings of this, but, uh, but it backfired in the sense that they didn't set them up for success and all these weapons and, uh, and vehicles. And someone told me that like the Taliban now has one of the top 10 largest air forces in the world. It's like, I don't know if that's true. That could be completely <laughs> false. I read that on social media. Maybe that's wrong, but <laughs> point is whether that's true or not, they have a bunch of uh, weapons and vehicles. Yep. I don't know uh, if the social media stats that people want to throw out there are correct or not, but the pictures and what you're hearing and what you're seeing in the news is that they now have a bunch of weapons. They're not uh, friendly to social rights they are not friendly to the people that are living there. It's a horrible situation for those people. I don't know what other outcome we could have expected or produced from out Afghanistan. So I don't want to try to say that I could have planned that better, but I think the obvious thing is how it was handled, how we got out and how the, the people that were, that are stranded right now and that the conflict right now just does not seem like a good outcome. And to your point, the perspective of all of it is not positive. And then the geopolitical implications and I know this is an energy podcast, but it ripples through because the Middle East is clearly an important place in the world around uh, oil and energy. And so uh, uh, things when things are become destabled, it's not positive at all. So I, I've seen a few people try to put kind of a positive spin on it. But for the vast majority of people, news outlets, everybody is saying this is not a good situation. So hopefully that uh, things can get better and not worse here soon. Yeah, it's, it, I. Uh... I'm a big fan of watching Ted Lasso. I've got his Believe sign up in yeah. my office. And I love that. I actually think Ted that Lasso it matters a, a lot. Show. Like, there's a, I mean, it, it's some of the things you get to look forward to over the weekends, but like, got a few episodes that were behind, so I'm not gonna. But like, I actually think that the best in people tends to show up over time, and yeah, you know, that uh, we're just we're just not quite getting there from a political standpoint on either side right now, like last several years have not been inspirational from uh, from our executive or legislative branch. And I honestly haven't paid enough attention to the judicial branch to bash them one way or say good or other things. Sure. But it's like, whew, man, we're, 
we've had a bull market in politics for about eight years um, and political commentary. And God, I'd just like to get past the point of having that bull market and just have a bull market in energy um, for a little while. And uh, yeah, that's that's how I yeah. think about it. Yeah, that plus uh, COVID being over would be nice. Those are two things I think would be positive. So to, to you know, this is a relatively short one. We're both, uh, I'm actually on the road. We, uh, we need to get, we're going to try to get a guest on again here soon. Uh, but I think to kind of round it out, what I would say is that there's a lot of positive things, a lot of positive tailwinds on the energy side. Still a lot of question marks in the world uh, around COVID and uh, Delta variant, all these things that are going on. But, but what I will say is that we are seeing some positive things in our industry it's happening. It's hard to take that win if that is a win. Um, I do know that, uh, for example, M and A activity in the upstream space it seems to be pretty healthy, and things cycle. And so, hopefully, not just oil and gas, but the world stage stuff will cycle too. This COVID thing will cycle. We'll move out of that. We'll uh, hopefully have some kind of resolution in this Afghanistan thing. But uh, but there are positive things out there to talk about. Hard to realize that sometimes, though, right? So that's why we oh. should maybe. Maybe we should focus more like this is do an all positive episode next time or something. I don't know. Well, I mean, uh, if you just get a Hawaiian shirt for Fridays, that's all that uh, I know that you need. <laughs> I have wear, one. So. If you'd have told me that you were going to wear one, I had one. I brought one. I brought one. Uh, to all right. I thought we'd agreed, but maybe it was only in my head. So we'll, we'll work that next time. You all right. Hey, enjoy your time with your wife. One. Have a great weekend. Right, we'll enjoy do, your Bitcoin we'll conference. Do, all right. Yeah, it'll be fun. We'll see. All right. Be see well. you, David.